Praise forever to the King of Kings. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he's worthy of every song we could sing to him. Amen? Hey, we're going to get into today's message right away. This is called Four Reactions to Jesus. Four different reactions to Jesus. It, it's found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, and verses 4 through 15, right? So four reactions to the good news message. I want to ask you guys a question as we begin. Who is the best storyteller in your family? I know that the best storyteller in my family is not me because I like to get to the point of the story real quick and I don't include a lot of rich detail. So you can imagine that my wife, Lisa, is the best storyteller in our family because she always has enthusiasm. She always remembers details. She remembers exactly what people said and even where they were in the room. And it's a lot of fun to listen to her. It's in fact, when we get together with her family, it's a lot of fun to be part of recounting family history and stories that they tell to each other. You know, Jesus was known as a great storyteller, right? When Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, it says this, the crowds, now these are the crowds that are listening to him do all of his teachings. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. I had a feeling that if you were in one of the teachers of the law classrooms, you might be tempted to fall asleep. But I doubt you ever fell asleep when Jesus was teaching. He was just that riveting. And one of the reasons Jesus was riveting be, was because he told stories in his teachings. Now, we call these stories parables. And so let's jump right into Luke chapter 8. The parable of the farmer scattering seed. One day, Jesus told a story in the form of a parable. Thank you, New Living Translation, for telling us what a parable is. It's a story. To a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him, right? So Jesus chose to teach by telling some earthly stories that reflect spiritual realities and truths. Now, what it did when Jesus tell, told one of these earthly stories was it made the listener curious and it helped bridge the gap between what the listener already knew and understood and the spiritual lesson that Jesus was trying to get them to learn. Right? So there's the reason for the parables and the stories. And Jesus is going to explain why he tells parables a little bit later on. So let's begin the story. He says this beginning in verse 5. A farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks it began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Now, I don't know where you are when you first read a story like this. My first thought was, wow, the farmer has really bad aim <laughs> when he's scattering his seed, right? Because Jesus is describing a first century farmer. He's, he's hand seeding a large field. So you picture this guy walking along and he's got a, a, a knapsack and in the bag, he has all the seed that he's trying to, to throw out into his field to plant it. And of course, he's tossing out the seed by handfuls as he's walking out through his field. And of course, the farmer, if he's good and he doesn't want to waste his seed, he's trying to get as much seed as possible to take root on good soil. So it's interesting that we discover 
the story that Jesus tells because it starts off, a farmer went out to sow a seed. You find out that the story really isn't about the farmer at all. The farmer's really about the, the seed and where the seed lands and in what kind of soil the seed lands, right? So Jesus is trying to convey that truth about where does the seed of his gospel teaching land. So first two uh, were kind of a waste. Uh, some fell among rocks and it, and it didn't work at all. Other found around rocky soil, didn't have any roots. So those seeds didn't grow up to do anything. Let's go to seeds three and four. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. It's too bad uh, they didn't have enough room to grow and other plants choked it out. But still others. Now here's the good one. Here's the fourth soil. I'll just tell you right now, spoiler alert, when you think of your life, you think fourth soil. You want to be this one. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. Wow, that's pretty awesome. And then he says, when he'd said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So Jesus' story it, here, it begins with a simple description of the various fortunes and outcomes of the seed that are scattered over different kinds of soil. Some soil was fertile, some soil was not fertile. What does that mean? What does is, what is this seed being thrown have to do with the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus explains that the seed that the farmer is throwing out, the seed is the gospel message, right? Paul says in the book of Romans, he said the gospel, the seed, the, the message of salvation, the gospel is the power of God to save everyone who believes, right? So there's power in that seed, but it also depends on what kind of soil that gospel seed that can change a life, that can change the world, it depends on what kind of soil that the seed lands in, right? So Jesus is is the, the, the good soil, the kingdom of God, the good soil, number four, that would be where Jesus's rule and reign is taking place in the heart of an individual, in the heart of a church, where they are doing his will, where they are actively loving God with all their heart, loving their neighbor as themselves, and being change agents for God in the world that they live in. You notice the fourth soil. It says, still other seed fell on fertile soil, and that seed grew. So not only did the, the seed plant into the ground, it took roots, it grew, and it produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as has been planted. Now, Jesus is hinting at something here when he says, wow, that crop grew and was a hundred times as much as had been planted. That's what's called a hint. It, sometimes uh, authors will do this or writers will do this. They will make an allusion to a reality where people will hear a certain word or a phrase and it will remind them of a historical story, right? Last week, we, we sang this song that, uh, that was talking about dry bones, right? Arise and sing, you know, to the dry bones, right? And when I hear dry bones, it immediately reminds me of Ezekiel 36, when God told the prophet Ezekiel to prophesy to those dry bones and they will come alive and God would put flesh and bone on them and the nation of Israel would come from all corners of the earth and it would come back to life again. And of course, we saw that in the last century in the nation of Israel, a miracle of God fulfilling that prophecy. So, but when you hear dry bones, 
I think of Ezekiel 36. When the Jewish listeners were, would hear that that produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as been planted, that reminded them of a story about one of the patriarchs. And I'll give you a hint. There's three of them. There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it's the one in the middle. So which one is it, right? This is about Isaac, right? What does it say in Genesis 26? Isaac was blessed by God, as was Abraham, as was Jacob. He said, Isaac planted crops in the land. So Isaac is in the land of Israel. He's living in tents, but he plants crops that year. And look at that. In the same year he planted the crops, he reaped a hundredfold. Why? Why was, was he so good at farming? He's got the ultimate green thumb. No, it's because the Lord blessed him. And if the Lord is blessing you, you're going to produce a crop. You're going to have a harvest. Because God is with you, you're walking in the Spirit, and Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men, and there will be other people affected and will come into the kingdom of God because of your excitement, because of your passion, because of your witness, knowing that the gospel is the power of God to save everyone who believes. So in Jacob's life, when he planted a crop, in the same year, he reaps a hundredfold. I think the Jewish listeners were listening to that and saying, wow, that's a dream. Well, I guess it happened to Jacob. I guess it happened to Jacob because God was blessing him. Jesus is hinting at something here. If I follow Jesus, if I listen to his teachings and putting them into practice, maybe I'll have some kind of a really good harvest. And what does that harvest even look like? So let's go back to Jesus' story. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, Paul especially, and Jesus also, they somehow sometimes describe the kingdom of God as a mystery, right? And the, the, the definition of a mystery in the New Testament is some kind of spiritual truth that used to be hidden, but now is being revealed. And the, of course, the mystery is Jesus is the son of God. Jesus has become a human being in the incarnation. Jesus has become the savior of the world through his death, burial, and resurrection over sin and death. And the mystery is that God can save anyone and bring into his family anyone who puts his or her faith and trust in Jesus, right? There's the explanation, the revelation of the mystery, right? The secrets of the kingdom of God, Jesus is revealing. He says, but I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. What is it? What does, excuse me, what happens in the mind of the listener when they hear this story about Jesus? Wow. He's talking about a farmer. He's talking about throwing seed out in a field. Whoops. Excuse me. He, um, he's got four different kinds of soil and there's Soil that doesn't produce anything, and then there's soil that produces a fertile crop. What does that story have to do with my life and my relationship with God and with Jesus and following his teachings? Well, Jesus is going to say, so why did Jesus speak in parables? Jesus explains it. He says, when they look, they won't really see. When they hear, they won't understand. Now, that was quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, when God was saying, I need somebody to go for me and go tell a message to the Israelites. And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. You remember that? I remember we were in a, 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 a conference for pastors in Chile. And this was in 1990. And the, the name of the conference title was Eme aquí, Señor, envíame a mí. 
right? Here I am, Lord, send me. Uh, that's what Isaiah did. He became God's spokesman to the people of Israel. But the, the warning to Isaiah was, Isaiah, I'm going to give you the words to say, and I want you to say them just as I've told you to say them. But I need to warn you, the people that are listening to you, they're not going to buy it. They're not going to repent. They're not going to turn back to God. For the most part, they're just going to continue in idolatry. But I still want you to say the message. Jesus, fast forward now to the first century, and Jesus says, there will be people that hear the same message out of the words of my mouth, and some will believe and some will not believe. Some will believe and take it to heart. Some will believe because they saw me feed 5,000 people with five loaves and uh, five loaves of bread and two fishes, and they said, he's our meal ticket forever. Let's follow Jesus. They're following me for all the wrong reasons. There's only a few that are going to hear my message, believe it, follow me, and they will follow me in such a way that they, their lives will be so attractive, they will be reflective of Christ in everything that they do and say that other people will be attracted to who is this Jesus whom you say you follow. And they will be able to share their testimony, uh, share the good news about Christ, and people will be, will be coming into the kingdom because of that person's changed life. That's the fertile soil. There, I just gave it away. There will be some people who never even start with following Jesus. They're not interested at all. They don't believe. Even if they do believe, they don't want to change their lives. They don't want to let go of bad behaviors that they know are displeasing to God. They just want to keep living the way they're living so they do nothing to change their lives. Then Jesus says, but wait a minute. There will be some who long to learn. There will be some who reject the message, but there will be others. Hopefully, you are in this camp. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. You can imagine the prophets in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before the coming of Christ, saying, Lord, you're giving me these words about the coming of Messiah. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This, he's going to be born of a virgin. This is going to be amazing. He's going to bring the whole nation of Israel back to God. I want to see it. And God says, well, you can prophesy it. You can predict it. But you're not allowed to see it in your lifetime. People long to see what you see, but they could not see it. They longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. So back to what Jesus says, because the best part about this story that Jesus tells is compare it to some of the other stories. Jesus tell, told a lot of parables. Jesus did not explain that many of his parables. In other words, what we have the advantage here and this is where I think the gospel writers come in because they're saying, I don't want anybody to, to misinterpret this. I don't want anybody to go, huh? What's Jesus really talking about? So the gospel writers have Jesus himself explain the meeting. The disciples come up to him and says, so what does this mean? Farmer, seed, soil. What does it all have to do with the kingdom of God? Jesus said, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. Do you know that even today, Paul's scripture, Paul's uh, writings from 2 Corinthians are still active today. 
Paul says this, Satan, the enemy of our souls. Do you remember the one last week that Lisa said in her communion meditation that, that now the, the time of judgment has come. Now the prince of this world will be cast out, right? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that Satan, the enemy of our souls, he has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Sometimes you say, I don't know why people can't understand who Jesus is. I don't know why the whole world doesn't just bow their knee and follow Jesus. Why do I feel like I'm in the minority of those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah and he's worth following? Why, why is that? Well, Paul says Satan's blinding the minds of unbelievers. When it comes to the gospel message that fell on this kind of soil, this person, the devil, comes and takes it away. They don't even want to pay attention to Jesus. They don't want to consider humbling themselves and turning around from a, a life of independence from God and coming to faith in him. Jesus also, now when Jesus was teaching his followers, when you go out and share the good news, remember this, he said, don't throw your pearls before pigs. I think the King James is, do not cast your pearls before swine. They might just trample them under their feet. But here's the question. How do you know who the pigs are? <laughs> how do you know who the people with the good soil are? You, you're not going to know that ahead of time. And so I don't think Jesus says, well, uh, try to discern whether this person is a pig or this person is going to be good soil. And then don't worry about sharing it with that one. Share them with the good soil person. You don't know who the person is until they respond or until you see the fruit or the outcome of their life. Jesus says you go and share it with everybody. And at the end, God's going to gather them all in. That's why Jesus says in this parable, he talks about the parable of the nets in Matthew 13, verses 47 to 50. Jesus says this. I hope you can read this. I'll read it to you. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water. Think about the people in Capernaum. They saw those fishermen come back all the time. They saw those fishermen casting out their nets all the time. Sometimes they caught something, sometimes they didn't. But when the net was, when the net was thrown in the water, they caught fish of every kind. Then the fishermen, what did they do? The net was full. They dragged it up onto the shore. They sat down and then they went through what's in the net. You know, is it a rubber boot? Is it some pollution? Is it some beer can? No, that probably wouldn't have been in the first century. But there were certain kinds of fish that were considered not very edible, not very appetizing. So they kept the good fish and they put it into crates, but they threw the bad ones away. And then Jesus says, you know what fishermen do when they bring in the nets and they, they start sorting through the fish, keeping some and throwing away others. He says, that's the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come. They will separate the wicked people from the righteous. We're not to judge. We're not to condemn. We're let to let God be the judge. He's the only one who knows what's in a person's heart after all. So he sends his angels. The angels come and they separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked. And this is a, a sad parable, but this is how Jesus describes it. Those who reject Jesus, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, there'd be a place of great suffering, of great remorse, great regret for a person who said, why didn't I see Jesus for who he was? Why couldn't I see? Well, one of the reasons is Satan, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. If you know people who just don't seem to get it, who Jesus is, they don't, 
seem to have hardly any interest in spiritual things. Pray for God to open up their eyes. Open up our, their eyes, Lord, so they can see Jesus for who he really is. Lord, open their eyes so they can realize the emptiness of their life, of whatever they're pursuing. They're trying to, they're trying to fill up a God-shaped hole in their heart that only Jesus can fill. And whatever they try to fill it with, it's just not going to work. So there is a picture of a person who heard the good news, rejected it. The, the gospel seed never even had a chance to take root in that soil. What a sober picture this is, Jesus' parable. Of the end of the world and judgment day, where there'll be a separation of the wicked from the righteous. And Jesus is the one who decides where they go. Francis Chan, you know, he's a great preacher, uh, a guy he used to pastor a church in Southern California, gave all that up, went over to China, now is evangelizing and planting churches in the country of China. Um, Francis Chan made this observation about the parable of the farmer going out and scattering seed. He said, he said, out of the four soils, did you notice that only one of them is good? That means only 25% of the soils actually receive the gospel seed. Only one quarter of the listeners received the seed, allowed the message of Christ to grow in them and flourish and produced a harvest. So I don't know if, if the 25%, I mean, sometimes you can take a parable and run with it and get into the details and overanalyze it. But I think what Francis was trying to say was it's not even half of the people that are hearing the good news message about Christ. Less than half are even responding to it and embracing Christ and following him and producing a harvest. That's a sobering reality to the world that we're in today. That just reminds me that we have to get the good news message out to as many people as possible so that the, the good seed of the gospel can fall on good soil in people's hearts. Um, sometimes you hear uh, people, they hear the good news message. Maybe they watch a, a, a crusade or they hear Greg Laurie or somebody on TV or on the radio and they, they hear the gospel story and they say, yeah, I want it. I want it. But then what happens? Then something difficult happens in their life. Maybe they get sick. Maybe you lose your job. Maybe you lose your home. You might lose a family member or somebody that you really care about to illness or some tragedy. Or what if something comes along in your life and tempts you? The, the, the kind of person I describe, I'm describing is basically soil number two. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message. The first time they hear it, they embrace it. I want this. I want eternal life. I want forgiveness. I want to know that, that my eternity is settled with God and I'm going to heaven when I die. You know, a lot of people want that. A lot of people want to go to heaven. A lot of people just don't want to count the cost of what it means of following Jesus. Where he says, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him pick up his cross daily and let him follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake. In other words, whoever submits his or her life to the lordship of Christ that person isn't going to lose their life. They're going to find their real life. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. What a sad story about certain people. Some of 
people you know will be like that. They say they get it. They know what the gospel is. They say they understand the Christian faith. They could probably pass a test, you know, on doctrine. What does it mean to be a Christian? Who is Jesus? What did he do? Uh, what did he say? They, they could probably answer all those questions. But in their hearts, they have not submitted themselves to the leadership and the lordship of Christ. Some of them will say they get it, but when life gets difficult or when a strong temptation comes their way, they'll just ditch God so fast and you can't even believe, like they'll say, I can't even believe God will allow that to happen to me. I thought he loved me. Is that Jesus said, since they don't have deep roots, they do believe for a short while and then they fall away when they face temptation. Wow, I, 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 want, I want to tell you a story about somebody like that. This was about 30 years ago. I was a youth pastor in Chino, California. And one of the things you try to do as a pastor is you try to find out who's, who's a regular member attending at your church and who is not, who used to be an active member of your church. And maybe you, don't, you haven't seen that person for a long time. Well, our senior pastor, he told me about this guy uh, who used to go to their church, hadn't been to church for a while, gave me his name and phone number, asked me if I would call on him. So I said, sure. So I call the guy up on the phone and I say, hey, I'm the uh, associate pastor here at Valley Christian Church and I'd like to come and visit you and get to know you. And he said, sure. So we, we made an appointment and I went to his house and we started talking and I found out that uh, in the last 10 years, he had taken a job at the Chino State Prison. So there was a state prison there in the, in the area for men, and he had become a guard in the state prison. I also found out about his life that when he was growing up, they, his, he and his family, they were really active in church. They, he was, in fact, he was a leader in his youth group. He said his senior year in high school, he was like president of the youth club uh, for his church. And I'm looking at him now, and I'm thinking like, really? Okay, well, that's great. You got a great background. But of course... 15 years had passed since the time he was leader of his own youth group at church. And in 15 years, a lot of things can happen. A lot of things can go south. And of course, he got married and he was divorced and he stopped going to church and he became a guard in the prison and he started seeing some of the worst people in society or, you know, some of the rougher crowd. And he got real cynical about life and about humanity. And he hadn't been to church in a while. He hadn't read his Bible in a while. And I shared a few scriptures with him. One, I, re I remember sharing it. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he says, oh yeah, I know that scripture. And I said, really? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's awesome. Where, where is it in the Bible? And he says, ah, I used to know it. I used to know that address where it was in the scripture. And I tell him it's in Romans 10. Yeah, yeah, Romans 10. He, he said that he probably knew hundreds of scriptures and he can hardly remember one scripture. And I thought to myself, what happened to you? 15 years go by from being zealous youth for Christ. And then life happens. And the, whatever happened, the gospel, the, the, the roots never went deep, never went deep in his, enough in his life to be able to withstand the storms that life would put in front of him. It was really sad. He appreciated the visit, but he refused to change his life. He refused to go back to church. And I walked away just shaking my head. I was very sad for him because 
the way it is with our Christian life is when you keep using what God is teaching you, you hold on to it. If you don't keep using what God is teaching you and showing you, Jesus says you will lose it. So when it comes to your Christian faith, friend, it's use it or lose it. There's another scripture that and kind of seed that Jesus described that he fell in. This is soil number three. He says the seeds that fell among these thorns represent, excuse me, the seed that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. This kind of soil seems to get a good start. It looks like the seed is taking root and the plant begins to grow. But as the plant starts to grow and it's trying to grow and it's trying to uh, grow up to maturity so it can produce a crop, it is surrounded by thorns. And it says the thorns and the weeds, they are so strong around this plant that's trying to produce a crop that it's choking out the plant and it's keeping it from producing any fruit. That is the one group out of the four. When you think about all four soils, right? The soil that fell on the path, the rocky soil, this soil that fell among the thorns, and finally the good soil. When I think about all four of the soils, the one soil that concerns me the most for people who name the name of Jesus, for people who say they're following Christ, this is the soil that concerns me the most. Why is that? I've seen this happen in, in my own life, among my own friends. All too quickly, the message is crowded out. And, here, and it sort of happens slowly. It happens gradually. I think it just their faith erodes more than they just lose their faith in one instance in life, in one bad event that happens to them where they just went from being a strong believer to now they're not a believer. Their faith eroded and fell away over time. Um, they, they've abandoned their first love. It's not as if they abandoned their faith altogether. They just abandoned their first love. Instead of seeking first the kingdom of God, now other things started crowding in. Jesus had a word for them. Jesus had a word for a church like this in Revelation. The very first of the seven churches that he had a message for was the church in Ephesus. This is one generation after Paul plants this awesome church in Ephesus where Timothy became the pastor. And now some 30 years later, John at the end of his life says from Jesus, John, I want you to write this letter, write it to the church of Ephesus. What does he say? He says in Revelation chapter 2 verses 4 and 5, Jesus is talking to the church. Jesus says, I know you have good works. I know you've kept your doctrine, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Would that be some awful words to hear from Jesus? If he had those words to say about you, if he looked at your life and in all honesty, and you're saying, where am I right now in my Christian life? Am I zealous for following Jesus or have I lost my zeal? Have I lost my first love? Jesus says, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how you have fallen. Look how far you have fallen. And then Jesus, this is the great part about Jesus. He gives you time to turn around. When he says, turn back to me, that is the old English word we have called repent. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. 
If you do not repent, Jesus said, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. What a sad epitaph for a church that said they started off so well. They followed Jesus and then their hearts grew cold. Then they lost their zeal from their first love. Other things came into their lives. The thorns came in and crowded out that good plant from trying to grow up and mature and produce a crop. You see a person like that where the seed fell among the thorns? That person might look good and decent and hopeful and you think something good is going to come out of them, but... Then the seeds, the people, they never really seem to grow. Why? Well, if they allow so many other things in their life that take away their time and their energy and their focus, they end up crowding out God's word and the gospel in their life. Sometimes these people want it all. But the trouble is the cares and the pleasures of life and you, there's a list. I, I made a list of some of the, players, the, the weeds and thorns that can crop in your, up in your life. And you really need to look at this list and you said, and go to Jesus who went to that church in Ephesus. In his mercy, he warned them before it was too late. And he says, you've lost your first love. You need to come back to me. Why? Because the, the weeds and the thorns have crept up in your life. What could it be in your life that is crowding out Jesus? And, this, and following him first place in your life. It could be money or cars or entertainment devices. It could be your work. Some people become workaholics. They get their identity from their work and what they produce. And that becomes everything to them. It could be fashion or clothing or jewelry. It could be vacations. I don't know where you can go these days, but back pre-COVID, you know, a lot of people traveled. It could be politics. Maybe people are making politics their God. That's the only thing they're living for. Maybe they think that following a certain political party has become like a religion to them. And if it has, it can crowd out the kingdom of God. I have a message for you, whether you're on the Republican side or the Democratic side. Redemption is not coming in on Air Force One. Satan doesn't always have to attack us or persecute us, Christ followers. Satan could very easily just distract us and keep our hearts and minds focused on other things. But when those other things begin to crowd Jesus out, he becomes not the priority anymore in our lives. And so what happens? You start to miss church. Maybe you drop out of being active in a life group. Maybe you don't join another life group when a life group stops or takes a break. You don't volunteer to serve at church anymore. You always seem to, quote, have something else to do on Sundays. Maybe you always come up with an excuse or something else to do when we have our church serve days. I know one pastor, he says, man, I hope the COVID situation, I hope it, it continues all the way through the fall. And I'm like, really? You you. You, miss, you don't miss meeting at church? And he says, no, I miss meeting at church a lot. But I hope the COVID situation continues because the men in our church, it, it, how do I say it? The men in our church might pay more attention to God than to football on Sunday. So this pastor is actually praying that the football season doesn't even happen. So it won't be such a distraction to the men and yes, to some of the women that are in his church. If there are a bunch of weeds mixed in with the seeds planted, then they are the ones taking the nutrients 
and the water from that soil. And so that plant isn't fed and watered enough. It can't grow. It can't flourish. For a plant to really grow and, and flourish, it needs good soil. It needs sun and water. It needs less competition from weeds and thorns. You might ask yourself, is my involvement in this activity, whatever that activity is, is it starting to hinder my relationship with God? Is it starting to diminish my love and zeal to follow Jesus? It's a sobering question, and only you can answer it. Here's signs of a week. I told you about these signs <laughs> that, are, that are in your life that might be choking out the Word of God in your life. You neglect reading the Bible and praying. You know, what we've heard, the statistics during this COVID season, as people are not able to attend church live in person, we had a great amount of enthusiasm for people who were jumping in on the online church ministry. We had more people than ever. We, we had more people watching church on Sunday in the early couple of months than there were people that were attending church live before the COVID pandemic. But now even that is starting to tail off. And you may be one of those people. And if that's happening in your life, I want to say, if you really want to be one of the 25%, if you really want to be one of the people that can be labeled by Jesus as his seed of his message falling on good soil that grows up and matures and produces a crop, then you've got to get rid of the weeds and the thorns in your life that are hindering Christ from being first place. Paul says it this way when he's talking about the farmer sowing the seed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, it's reflective of the good soil and the good seed. Now, what's the good soil? We finally get to it, right? The, seed, the slide right before that. It said, and the seed that fell on good soil. Now, we find, you know, it took me this long to get to the good soil. The seed that fell on the good soil represents honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it, you know, glibly, haphazardly. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll do this. Maybe I'll go to church. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll read my Bible. Maybe I won't. No big deal. That no big deal attitude, you're not in the fourth soil. Because the fourth soil hears God's word, clings to it, and then matures and grows up to patiently produce a huge harvest. Back to where I, Isaac was, right? Plants, the, plants those crops, and in the same year, they're producing a hundredfold. Why? Because the Lord was blessing his life. Producing a harvest is having the Lord blessing your life. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians. Paul's giving a warning here. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. The way I interpret this for Sebastopol Christian Church, a church that only gives out the gospel a little bit or in very few meetings, very few occasions, will get a small crop. You only plant a few seeds, you're going to get back a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. So we need to have every member of our church, every Christ follower out there, not just as we gather here on Sunday. This is like, I'll go back to a football uh, illustration. This is like the football team gathering together in the huddle. And the coach said, okay, guys, here's what we're doing as our team. Here's the training. Here's the play we're going to run. Now, during this week, let's all go out and run this play. All right, you guys in? Ready, break. 
And you hit the line, and during that week, everybody goes out and lives a Christ-honoring life where they're zealous for God and his kingdom, and we start to see a bumper crop. Wouldn't that be amazing? I would love to see that. Galatians chapter 6 says this, Do not be misled. You cannot mock the, the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Paul's talking about consequences. He's like saying, you know, life kind of has a boomerang. When you sow, when you plant that seed of the gospel abundantly, generously to all people, to everybody, whether you think they'll listen to you or not, when you do that, when you sow abundantly, you're going to reap a, an abundant harvest. And when you go out and plant sparingly, don't expect a big harvest. It's consequences. Life's boomerang. A boomerang can be a good thing. So friends, if you've been a follower of Christ for a while, you know that one of the greatest declarations that we long for, that when each of us comes to the end of our days, and we don't know when that is, we're supposed to be ready for Christ's return at any time. We're supposed to also be ready that today might be the last day that you and I are walking or living on this planet Earth. And if that's the case, then the, the moment after we transition from our physical death into eternal life, the moment we do that, the Bible says that we are going to face judgment. The Bible says in Hebrews, once is it appointed for man to die, and then we face the judgment. So we come before the judgment of Christ. And there's a parable, a story that Jesus tell, tells about these men and women that were given money to invest. They said, go and do business with them until the master returns. And then after a long time, the master comes back and he starts settling accounts with his employees. And they start giving him account of what they did with the investment that Jesus put into their lives. And the ones who took what they had received and spread it and invested it and made more money, this is what Jesus says to them. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now, friends, if you've been a follower of Christ for more than six months, I think you might be aware of this verse. And I think you might even be thinking, when I come to the end of my days, when you come to the end of your life, do you not long for the Lord Jesus to say these words to you? Well done, good and faithful servant. You took what I invested in your life. You took that gospel seed. You didn't bury it. You didn't ignore it. You didn't let weeds and thorns grow up around it. You didn't not have any roots. You, you let your roots grow deep into Christ and you grew up into him and now you're producing a crop. And because you were good and faithful throughout your life, Jesus says that you're his good and faithful servant. And he says to you, come and share in your master's happiness. Friends, that declaration from Jesus, those words from the Savior are what I long to hear someday in my life. And I hope you long to hear them too. Those words will be said to the fourth soil only. The one where the seed came in and took root, landed in good soil, and it grew up and matured and it produced a crop. And you didn't go to heaven alone. You made sure that somebody else came with you. 
because Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And his good news is for everybody. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that includes you. If you haven't even really got started on the Christian life, today could be the day for you to get started. You call on the name of Jesus. You ask him to be your savior. You ask for his forgiveness. You invite him to come into your life and you declare to him that he's going to be the leader and you're going to be his follower. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. There could be others of you in your life to say, wow, I, I haven't realized how far I've drifted away from my first love and how far away from God I've gotten. I need to turn around right now. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, I'm coming back to you. I'm declaring my love for you. I'm saying no to all these other things. Like that hymn says, rise up, O men of God. Have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the king of kings. That's what a person with the good soil does. And I want you to be one of those people. I want Jesus to be able to say those words to you when you come to the end of your days. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, <laughs> Savior, Master, as we come before you in all seriousness, Lord, I, I pray for myself. I pray for everyone who's listening. Lord, we want you to be first place in our lives. We want you to be our first love. We want your kingdom to be what we think about when we wake up in the morning. We want to pray your kingdom come and your will be done. Those words to be on our lips throughout the day and when we put our heads on the pillow at night. So Lord, help us to become loyal Christ followers. Lord, help us to turn away from whatever these lesser things are. Lord, help us to figure out a way that we can get our roots down deeper into you so that we will not be led away or distracted or have our faith erode and dissipate over the course of this life as we're living in the world. And you said, yeah, you're living in the world, but I don't want you to be of the world. Be a difference maker and a change maker in your world. Lord, help us to be that. Help us to be the ones that you call the good soil to where you're going to say those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. May that happen for every person listening and joining us today in prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.